This is Delicious Matt Bear, and you are listening to Footstuff. You are all about to compete in Robot Wars. Which feature do you add as an accessory? Flamethrower. Now, the flamethrower never works. Flamethrower! They're made of metal. Flamethrower! <laughs> I'd be called Inferno. <laughs> oh, that, that is a great Will name, it be though. constantly roaring, spitting flames and conflagulations into your face? No, there's no way you could have that much fuel No, on see, there. but here's what you do. It is flaming almost constantly, and every time it backfires, and I, I meet my own demise. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be the crowd favorite. Wait, so are you in the robot? I am the robot. <laughs> Didn't you ever see that movie? I am the robot starring yeah. William Smith. <laughs> I don't know if it would work, but what if you just had a big spatula that just lifted other robots? Actually, that's a good idea. Flip them upside down. Yeah. Then they'd, they'd be the whole then turtle on the back. Exposed. Oh, and then that's when you come for the jugular with what? Down right on the top of the faux robot. The spatula again. Twin <laughs> twin ice axes. Oh, yes. Yeah, the impaler. <laughs> you just send the spatula right back down. It's amazing. Pancake. Oh, you'd be called Flapjack. Oh, oh yes. Oh, Flapjack. Flappy. Hey, and welcome to Footstuff. This is Footstuff Podcast. We are Footstuff. We're going to be having a lot of fun here tonight talking about some of our own adventures, some hiker news from around the country. But most importantly, we're going to be diving deep into an issue, and we have a call to action. We have a three-part series we're starting tonight revolving around Boreas Ponds. But first, a bunch of us went on a lot of really cool adventures, and Jeremy and Nubbins, you two just went on a bit of a cute adventure together, a tandem trip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we did. Where did you go? We went uh, and did the Pitch-Off Ridge Traverse in Keene, and it was amazing. I had never been up there and done the ridge before, and we got fantastic views the whole time. Um, we fa- even found a cave that we did a little spelunking in. A yeah. cave? Yeah. <laughs> or actually, I, uh, what, what would you say it was, Jeremy? It's like it's kind of like a slump rock cave. A slump I, rock. Slump I think it, rock? No, like, wait, wait, wait. Is this like Fraggle Rock? I was about to say the exact same thing. Is this <laughs> is this like a goof you guys are playing? No, is that sl- what it's called? A slump rock cave is sort of where like a rock falls on the other one and it makes a cave underneath. So where is Fraggle Rock? I'm very concerned. I think it's in the southern Adirondacks. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. okay. Yeah, Jim yeah. Henson's part of the Adirondacks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, that that was not the one we were in. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So go go on. What was what was in this cave? You went you went spelunking. Yeah, we did. It was like a. It started off with a big tall chimney section that we kind of went went up in after a huge roof um and then we were kind of climbed over some rocks and and came out the other side it was it was pretty great there's like a slit sort of at the summit actually where you just sort of get birthed out of yeah and there's a there is a great (laughs) picture of jeremy coming out of that that will definitely be on the instagram page And we also took a little bit of uh we made like a short video of us just sort of like walking through and actually nubbins that's when you climbed completely out of like the slot area oh yeah yeah that's true yeah like 20 foot fall from there maybe yeah that would have been pretty bad neither of you two (laughs) are covered in guano right now so i'm not quite sure 
Well, we're... not anymore. Oh, I mean, that was earlier today. Yeah, yeah. I take showers. <laughs> <laughs> Did you lick the guano off of yourselves and slash or each other? Or? Is that that green stuff you get at Mexican restaurants you dip the chips in? Yeah. Guano. Yes. Yeah, the guano. Man, I guano. Love that stuff. Yes, yeah. ask for extra guano. <laughs> yeah. But apart from that, like the, the rest of the ridge was fantastic. We got great views of, of the high peaks from different angles than I've really seen them before. Oh, and, yeah. Man, let me tell you, Algonquin and Colden from the Pitchoff Ridge look so epic. That's Definitely. Awesome. Yeah. And it was the, awesome. We could see uh, Hurricane and the J Range. Yep. Also, and really this, cool. The, we saw the Sentinels and also Whiteface from Giant. The, the other side. And only one piece of micro trash. So <laughs> yeah, told. only one piece, which was in the cave. But we, of course, packed it out. Leave oh, no trace. Rule. <laughs> so I got to go on my own little footstuff adventure. Prove it. Okay, so I went across the Green Mountain State and into the Live Free or Die State of New Hampshire, and I met a couple who was also from New Hampshire. They were from the town of Sandwich in Jeremy. <laughs> you know Sandwich, New Hampshire, and North Sandwich. Like and the sandwich back of my hand. Center. There's a lot of sandwich. <laughs> sandwich uh, range? Yeah. But, I mean, what's the one thing about Sandwich, New Hampshire that you most certainly remember? Um, well, I would have to say that that would be the Sandwich Notch and specifically the road that goes through it. Oh, very freaky road. If you drive it at night, you've made an egregious mistake. <laughs> it is windy and very creepy. But when we went through the town, we were looking to procure a certain item, and it didn't exist. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> we, we went to a cafe. So we we had an epic, like he and I, this is a foot stuff from a long time ago, but we had an epic two days, uh, did a whole bunch of peaks. We go to a cafe that looks awesome. They got like coffee, espresso. We were in Sandwich, New Hampshire. Yeah, like glass bottles, soda pops. Oh, the sandwich nice. descriptions, awesome. We go up to the counter and we're like, uh, you know, hey, I want like the the bladder buster, whatever the sandwich was called. What? <laughs> Maybe it was the mustard squirter or something. I don't know. It's like a pretzel deep fried hoagie. But and the guys are like, oh, no, like the kitchen's not open. There were no sandwiches in sandwich. (laughs) You could not get one. So anyway, I meet this great couple. I'm never going there. Sandwich Dome, too. How about that? Oh, yeah. Bingo. Part of the sandwich range. I'm heading through New Hampshire. I was really glad to meet the couple from Sandwich. I'm going into (laughs) northern White Mountains, and I did a little pristine camping by Wambeek. Wambeck, excuse me. And I'm awoken around 1.20 a.m., by the couple? No, no, they didn't follow me. They didn't follow me. They didn't. No, they didn't follow me. But I, I was camping alone, and suddenly footsteps walking around my tent. Jeez. Jeepers! And I am actually a little bit startled because I'm awoken in the middle of the night, and I decide to reach, and I'm, my sleeping pad is cringling beneath me, alerting whatever's outside that I indeed am moving around and now an easy target. I grab my headlamp press it against the wall of my tent, turn it on, porcupine. Shut up. Whoa. A porcupine? No. A porcupine platter? No. (laughs) Maybe. A porky guy? And it didn't shoot its quills at me as they are wont to do. No, but this, this porcupine was just hanging out foraging, going around. It actually climbed a tree near near my tent, climbed a big oak you tree. You watched it do that? Yeah, with my headlamp on oh at 1.20 a.m. And then oh my I tried to go back to sleep. About 30 minutes later, more footsteps. And I think, 
my gosh, what's this going to be? Bigger, much bigger. And I heard the startling sound of a nasally snort. I grabbed my headlamp again, pressed it against the wall of the tent, and it was a white-tailed deer. And I was actually oh, cool. shocked that it could make so much noise, wow. but the dry leaves were rustling and crinkling beneath the hooves that's, of that that's deer. Cool, though. That's cool, It was really yeah, cool. That's cool. Woke up. The first thing I find on trail in the morning, a full, unused, blank checkbook. Hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we can all quit our jobs. So, so Footstuff is now officially funded and uh, ready to go. So I find this checkbook, and I swear that the only thing I look for is the name because it obviously fell out of someone's pocket. And I, I always hike with my checkbook. You <laughs> never know. Just in case someone <laughs> wants to sell me a mountain, I'll buy it. <laughs> it. Wasn't there a great movie about this exact scenario that I'm talking about it right now? It was called Blank Check, and it was not a great movie. No! <laughs> no, no. It, it had, it had um, uh, what Tone Loke in it. Who is the rapper who sings uh, Wild Things in Funky Cole Medina? It's a fantastic movie. Oh, see, this is a great movie. Isn't it? <laughs> is it any different than Richie Rich? No, Richie Rich is like the knockoff version. That's like for kids who, who uh, you know, they didn't have the money for the other one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I find the name of the checkbook and I think, okay, I'll I'll pass by this hiker, and sure enough, near the summit of Wombeck, I passed by and I said, hey, is anyone? Uh, here uh, know who this person is and one of them said oh my gosh my checkbook and I was thinking the exact same thing w- why would you bring that with <laughs> you <laughs> but why <laughs> this person got it back and was very thrilled and uh, did they give you a blank check no n- nothing <laughs> did you no. get a reward whatsoever no handshake the did reward was the, the pure joy in this person's heart when they received their checkbook back but anyway I mm. continued on to <laughs> Cabot the most northerly 4,000-footer in the whites. That's the buttery one, right? Yeah, no, the cheesy, cheesy one. Oh, cheesy. Well, yeah. they make butter, too. Oh, well, yeah. Dairy so. product mountain. Near the summit of <laughs> Cabot <laughs> is a hut, which, is, which I'm sure is riddled with hantavirus. Ooh. Old hut. Look, I would not sleep there. I would not sleep you think, there. Do you think it's haunted, too? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Apparitions, poltergeists, spooky ghosts. It's almost Halloween here at Studio 2. Uh, very scary hut. Summited Cabot a little bit, maybe a quarter mile, half mile later, um, just a little further down the trail, and uh, came back to my surprise... A moose. I saw my first moose while hiking and then a big uh, cow moose near the trailhead, which I thought really? was just incredible. Did you see a bull moose? No. No, no and no bullwinkle. But Ooh, just a, 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 a small moose, a calf, and maybe a year old or so, and a cow. But I want you all to guess, how many mud puddles did I walk through during my two-day adventure? One and a half. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, that's wow. exactly right. There's no mud wow. there. There's, there's, the trails just aren't muddy. I was, I probably hiked close to, I don't know, I'm just going to guess uh, 10, 12 miles in total this week, past weekend. One and a half mud puddles. How did you know? Because it's the White Mountains. There's, there's no mud there. It's an amazing trail. Work. Yeah, if you were thinking about hiking in the Adirondacks, go to the White Mountains. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Wade, you also have uh, some adventures, but it's not foot stuff? Yeah, no. Uh, this past week, I didn't do any foot stuff. I did hand stuff. Ooh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> baby. Yes. Stuff. Yeah. So, tell us more. I went and visited my family in Vermont and drank 
beer with my hands and the ham pet house. my cat. Yeah, the, the ham house. The ham hung house. Out the ham oh, house. this is the biggest cat. I, <laughs> yeah, did you need cat. to use both of your meaty hands to pet this I cat? I mean, I could <laughs> have. He's a thick cat. Oh, what, a big is cat. it possible, Wait, is it possible for us to get a picture of the cat up on uh, social media somewhere? And what's that Instagram account, Nubbins? That'd be a Footstuff Podcast. On Instagram, hell yes. I have so many pictures of my cat. Yeah, I will come put on, them let, up. Yeah, let's get a picture soon. of that cat on there. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I have a video of him licking himself. Well, I mean, you know, you can't you can't put stuff like that on, on, <laughs> on social media. We'll get flagged. So we're gonna go to break. When we come back, we're gonna dive right into hiker news from around the country. <laughs> So we're we're back. We're going uh, straight into hiker news, and hiker news is going to start with nubbins. Yes, I've got an an interesting update here that would affect many of our listeners. I think um, an update from the National Park Service, who are saying that in the two thousand and eight upcoming um, high use season, two thousand and eight. 2018. Oh, my God. Wait a second. Wait a second. A time machine? Now, we do have a doctor in Studio 2 right now. Dr. Science, is there time travel to get back to 2008? Can you verify this? I'm not allowed to talk about that at all. (laughs) Go on, Nubbins. We believe you. 2018. 2018, yes. They are doubling their entrance fees. Um, So they're talking about raising it. Yeah, in 17 of the country's most visited national parks, um, and those include uh, such parks as Arches, Bryce, Canyonlands, Denali, Glacier, Grand Canyon, the Grand Teton, I like Yellowstone, Yosemite, and Zion, um, and that's all going to take effect on May 1st of 2018, Whoa. not 2008, 2018. Jim and Crickets. And... That's going to raise the average entrance fee for a normal car to $70 for a day. <laughs> Jeez. Now, that, I mean, I, I, I agree. That's very expensive. But what is that money going towards? That's that's what I want to know. That's so what's going to be interesting here. Apparently, there is a backlog of $12 billion in maintenance for these national parks. Wow. So it's going to go all towards ma- like maintaining them and fixing them up, doing projects that have just been backlogged for like, years um, that they haven't gotten to. $12 billion? $12 billion in backlog maintenance. That's kind of a good thing, though, right? I mean, maintenance is good, like preserving, maintaining. I mean, granted, that is it's wildly expensive, are oh, they gonna yeah. Are they gonna do anything about like? Because uh, you can buy like an annual pass. <laughs> so, fun fact: the annual pass is going to remain at eighty dollars. Hell yes! <laughs> <laughs> so you could buy an annual pass for ten dollars more than a regular day pass to He's... one park, and that gets you into all of them. Well, I'm wow. gonna go out on a limb and say that I'm a hundred percent okay with that. Support your national parks. Yeah, uh, yeah. maintain them, baby. Okay. I agree. And that's good I information. Thanks, Matt. Holy yeah, cow. You're welcome. I just 
Seems it, exorbitantly high. They're not changing the yearly pass rate. That seems like you could at least <laughs> add a five dollars on that, and then they could make even no, more. Money. Yeah, no, I don't know no. why they haven't changed that. That seems like uh, some, it's for people who live there. there. Yeah, the locals. I, mean, I guess if someone is just visiting the country for a week, or and they only have like a day or two to check out a park, like they're only going to get the day pass. They're not going to get an annual pass. So. I mean that that'll help the the backlog. So, uh, Doctor Science, who's in Studio Two right now, is there anything that the kids could bring uh, now that they know that the park entry fee is now sky high? Is there anything that the kids should bring into the parks, Doctor Science, to make their uh, stay a little bit nicer? Well, you should never find yourself in the back country without at least a pair of sandals and two packs of cigarettes. <laughs> See. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I think that's right. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I have a little bit of hiker news that I'd like to dive into. Um, this news comes straight out of Fair Play, Colorado. Not too fair for the creature involved. But three hikers just rescued a dog that was lost over a week from an abandoned mine shaft. Whoa. How deep was this mine shaft? You know, I'm going to speculate probably 35 feet deep. Is that... Too that, shallow? That do, yeah, that doesn't sound like a very deep. No, mine no, it, no. Mine I mean, the dog wouldn't be able to get out. But I mean, yeah, I was thinking it would be like a real deep one. No, I just guessed. Straight <laughs> 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 right off the top of my head. Well, Jeremy, go ahead. You also got to wonder how does a town like that get its name? <laughs> yeah, that's do we true. Have, do we have any info? If anyone knows how that town got its name, they can send that over, uh, what, Nubbins, what is that email address again? It'd be footstuffpodcast at gmail.com. So yeah. three hikers found the dog. A, a young Miss Portia Scovern took a video of the rescue. And I'm, I'm sorry? <laughs> Portia was nice enough to videotape the rescue of this lost <laughs> puppy dog. Oh, so she didn't help herself. <laughs> No, no, no. no okay, she, <laughs> all right. She had her smartphone. She did what any millennial would do, and she took a video and uploaded it to the YouTube. Um, apparently, a boyfriend in the group heard the dog barking a week ago, thought it was a wild animal, and didn't approach the mine shaft. Don't blame him. Who approaches a mine shaft? Don't blame him. You hear, you hear anything coming out of a mine shaft. You turn around and you run for the hills. Yeah, no. The one thing you don't do is approach it. Why was he hanging around this mine shaft for over a week? <laughs> <laughs> is what I want to know. I mean, he went back there. Well, what's important is the group of millennials turned to Facebook, found the owner of the dog. How do you, when you lose your dog in a mine shaft, what else happens to you in the week where you can't think back and remember? Geez, now where was I hiking this week with my dog? <laughs> oh, probably a head injury. You know, oh, I went around the cul-de-sac. Um, I went through town. Oh, yeah, there was that mine shaft walk by. I would have, I would have remembered that. <laughs> but the good news is that they found the dog. The dog's safe and back with the owner, which oh, is great. Oh, that's a good feel dog good story. Yeah, yeah. So we, I think yeah. we've got another news story coming at you hot. So this is breaking news from this past April. Uh, it comes to us from all the way around the world. Ooh. Ooh. And uh, this is one that Jeremy and I actually both did some research on. Mm -hmm. So I will go ahead and read the first paragraph of this news article. Superstar British DJ Paul Oakenfold has spent his entire career throwing epic parties and collaborating with music legends like Madonna and U2. So to mark the 30th anniversary of his trip to Ibiza, which forever trained changed dance club culture the dj wanted to do something monumental jeremy 
What was that thing? This rat bastard had a party at Everest Base Camp. He literally, on a tour, had a concert at Everest Base Camp. Oh, what? <laughs> I'm not joking. Yeah, so um, so Paul Oakenfold had this crazy idea to go and just trek all the way to Everest Base Camp and have a, have a rave. He had a rave. He, um, his uh, publicist, I guess, came to him with the idea, but very specifically said Everest isn't a publicity stunt. And, and honestly, like just from what I gathered and just going over my notes from reading it, that's exactly what it was. Um, it, I mean, we, we have to like we definitely have to note that all of the proceeds went to charities. He donated a ton of money to like the Himalayan children uh, funds when they were passing through the towns on their hike out. He was definitely he was handing out like coloring books, colored pencils. So that part, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, he's like all the money went back to the communities there. I could have sent one of my blank checks that I found. Yeah, yeah. you should have actually. I'm, I'm I'm shocked that you haven't. But I mean, like the, the thing the thing he says in the article is that he he wants to he wants to have this legacy. So even though he's donating the money, the money, he's made it totally about himself. Like just going through here, the concert was only for a hundred people, but a hundred people at Everest Base Camp. Like imagine imagine uh, Doctor Science on the ones and twos at Marcy Dam with a hundred people around him. That's kind of taken away from a wilderness experience. And Mount Everest, uh, he doesn't get much more wilderness than that, right? I mean, the one quote in the article is Paul Oakenfold. He says, I've played all of the main festivals and all of the main stages and clubs. Very humble. And don't get me wrong, they are great, but they start to feel all the same. Everest opens new, exciting doors, and that is what inspires me. It allows me to be challenged at this stage of my career and really think about my legacy. That's what I'm saying. It, oh, interesting. It's, just, it's not cool. I mean, and not only that, but you have to take in mind that the the Sherpas consider the mountain as their actual deity. Like you're, he's treading on some religious ground here, which is not cool. It's disrespectful. Um, the one funny thing that I got from this whole thing, though, and I'm sure that nobody in this room knows this, but so they, it's a ten day, it's a ten day trek to the base camp, uh, seventeen thousand six hundred feet. Uh, it over the 10 days, you gain 9,000 feet, mm-hmm. and uh, on the day that they got there and had the party, that would have been April 8th. That is my birthday. Oh, <laughs> oh nice. He ruined it! <laughs> <laughs> it does say that one audience member chugged a beer out of his own boot, uh, so that happened. All right. All, which is awesome. <laughs> I'm surprised. Uh, I'm surprised the base there didn't didn't cause an avalanche. You know. Oh I mean, that, yeah, that, that, that yeah. could have been totally possible. Thump, thump, thump. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was that's maybe deadly. maybe it was one of those silent raves where they just wear the headphones. Oh yeah, that's right. That way there wasn't any uh, any base. Yeah. Could have been. Could have been. Could have been. Who knows? But, yeah, I mean, if, if anyone else would uh, would care to weigh in on this and see, like, you know, if anyone has any opposing viewpoints or maybe some information that we don't have, uh, hit us up on social media. Or I think we have an email address. Nubbins, do we have an email address? Yeah, we sure do. It's uh, footstuffpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, yeah. Send your complaints. <laughs> so we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to do a deep dive into our topic of the day. Boreas Ponds.
And we're back with foot stuff. We're going to do the deep dive into the segment of the day, which is Boreas Ponds. We're going to do part one of the Boreas Ponds purchase and highlight what it's all about. In the spring of 2016, New York State's Governor Andrew Cuomo completed the final stage of a 65,000-acre addition to the New York State Forest Preserve, where he added pieces of land like the Essex Chain of Lakes, OK Slip Falls, part of the Hudson Gorge, and Boreas Ponds. Boreas Ponds is 20,758 acres. It is abutting against two current wilderness areas south of Mount Marcy, New York State's highest mountain. So it's against the High Peaks Wilderness Area and the Dix Mountain Wilderness Area. Boreas Ponds was purchased by the Environmental Protection Fund by $14.5 million dollars. And it has certain biological, physical, and tangible characteristics that make it really special. And everyone here in the Footstuff podcast team has visited Boreas Ponds. In this first episode, we're going to talk about what is this place and why does it matter? And we're going to present a call to action at the end. So let's Not only visited gotten lost there oh yeah oh, me too I, totally it's, lost it's very easy to get lost very there. lost <laughs> yeah it's it's a huge piece of air land like it is enormous yeah <laughs> yeah it's absolutely beautiful the adirondack park agency gets to decide how to classify land in new york state and it can have one of seven designations it can become a wilderness area where of course in contrast with those areas where man and his own works dominate the landscape wilderness is an area where earth and its community of life are untrammeled by man where man is a visitor who does not remain but there's also primitive areas or wildernesses in waiting in the adirondack forest preserve and canoe areas wild forests intensive use historic state administrative sites so it's the adirondack park agency's job to decide how should this land be classified? And what is its capacity to withstand use, human recreation, so that we can maintain its ecological integrity? So first we're going to turn it over to old Purpleman, who's going to talk about the physical characteristics of this wonderful new addition to New York State's forest preserve inside the Adirondack Park. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah let's get physical, Wade. Let's yeah. get yeah, this was specifically physical. given to you. <laughs> <laughs> so I could sing that. Uh, so you, you hit on some of them, Tyler. Uh, so Boreas Ponds, 20,758 acres. Big. Uh, very very big. Adjacent to the High Peaks Wilderness Area and the Dix Mountain Wilderness. It's about uh, the size of Manhattan, this 20,758 really? acres. Really? Yeah. Big. That is huge. Yeah, yeah, for our listeners down in Manhattan, it is a big place down there, right? It's, yeah, this is what we're talking about in the Adirondacks. The jungle. And uh, Dix Mountain Wilderness is right next to the Giant Mountain Wilderness, uh, which are right next to each other. So that's usually called the Giant Dix Mountain Wilderness, right <laughs> next to High Peak. So this would connect them all together. Uh, I'm sorry? Is that funny? Oh, no. I was laughing about uh, um, a, a children's menu at a restaurant I read earlier <laughs> today. <laughs> So, so, anyways, th this is right in between all these different great wilderness areas in, in uh, the Adirondacks here. Uh, most of the land at Boreas Ponds lies below 2,500 feet in elevation, except when approaching uh, Cheney Cobble to the west, Allen Mountain, the favorite high peak of everyone who's ever climbed <laughs> the high peaks to the north, and Boreas Mountain to the east. And there's one south as yeah, well. Yeah, the Ragged Wrist. Mountain. What about Wrist? Wrist is to the west as did well. Did you say Wrist? I did not. Just no. outside of the Boreas Ponds track. It, Wrist Mountain is awesome, by the way. Like, if you've ever seen it from yeah, it's like, tall. The, the views 
of it from Boris. Really cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so th- this, yeah, this area above 2,500 feet is deemed quite important. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it becomes more fragile as you get higher in elevations. Anyone who's ever climbed in the high peaks or in the whites or in the greens or uh, anywhere out rest- west really knows about the alpine zone where the plants are very fragile. And if you step on them, you kill them. And that only really happens either really high elevations or super far north. So uh, as you get above 2,500 feet, you get to the spruce fir forest. Oh, which... my, my second favorite kind of forest. Ooh. What's your first favorite? Oh, uh, just the spruce. <laughs> Just like a regular forest? <laughs> yeah, then. just a regular spruce forest. Yeah, it's my favorite. <laughs> so, very important to keep lands like that that, uh, that are around 2,500 feet or above uh, sort of protected so they don't get as much wear and tear. Uh, in addition, there are a lot of wetlands that surround Boreas Ponds. Are any, any news of a cousin, perhaps, of Champ from Lake Champlain perhaps residing? In Boreas Ponds? A giant serpent, I, I'm going to get into the biological next, and I I do have the fish species that reside there. Oh, okay, so, we'll, so we're we'll, definitely we'll, We will okay. get into Good. that. I'm, gonna say, I'm, I'm hearing yes. I can't wait. <laughs> so uh, along with Boreas Ponds itself, 320 acres, a uh, very large pond, there's also a uh, there's a peatland, uh, like a peaty wetland. Wait, like a place where... Pete and Pete, the TV show was filmed? Yeah, they live underground. Oh, damn. Wait, did you just say Peatland? Peatland. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, Pete, like Pete Moss. It, it's it's a super... It just, it's just like, you know, Pete Land. It's not... Peatland. It's a Peatland. It's a Peatland. It's one word, Peatland. <laughs> it's a Peatland. Come on, man. Come on, man. Uh, <laughs> so it's a wetland with a thick waterlogged organic soil layer uh, which is made up of dead and decaying plant matter it's important for climate change because it buffers against flooding uh captures carbon and it provides habitats for endangered species gosh we're learning really? a lot of science here tonight this is i awesome. have a fun fact about that uh that peatland that we're talking about Ooh, there peatland um it is one thousand. 411 acres, this particular peatland we're talking about, and it sits at 2,015 feet um, above sea level, which makes it one of the largest high peatlands in the Adirondacks. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Very rare ecosystem. I think next to the alpine ecosystem and the inland salt marshes around Long Island, we're talking about very rare ecosystem go ahead uh so so another uh, a couple of other real quick things to hit uh the soils on the boreas tract are uh 80 of them are rated as a severe erosion hazard oh uh so God. these soils are will like uh, with any water use or anything like that they'll wear away really quickly uh 68 of the land on the tract is uh rated as being poorly suited for roads and i know we've all been there uh one of the big the things that a lot of people talk about when they want to sort of develop uh, Boreas or sort of open it up is that there are roads all over the place. But the roads that are there are god-awful. They are so rutted out. Well, they're, or they're rewilding into full-blown forests yeah, once more. They're, they're, they're not really suitable for people to r- drive on or ride on. So uh, if any roads were to be put out there, they would require a lot of maintenance and a lot of upkeep, and it would just really, really uh, sort of take a lot of time and effort to to keep it sort of developed like that um there are also two separate dams on the boreas ponds track there's one at le uh, flow and one at boreas ponds itself which if uh access and recreation are promoted they will require a lot of maintenance and upkeep uh those are sort of the big 
uh, talking points on the physical aspects. Thank you, Wade. Yeah, you're welcome. Delicious Matt Bear. Let's dive into the biological aspects of Boreas uh, Ponds. So first, I'm just going to kind of highlight some of the the different um, birds, small and large mammals, and fish species. Serpents, gigantic underwater serpents. There's definitely a few of those. Reptilians. Yep. Yep. So for the birds, uh, we've got five different waterfowl species um, and nine boreal bird species, and two of those are on the endangered species list, um, which proves that this area really needs to be kind of really? taken care of. Yep, two species. Do you know which two off the top of your head? I think one of them is the Lincoln Sparrow, and the yes, other might be a Bicknell's Thrush. Ooh, Bicknell's Thrush. Bicknell's Thrush, yes, yep. Um, and as for fish, um, we've got your your regular old uh, brook trout. We've got some pumpkin seeds in there, which, what? yes, is a type of fish. The sunfish. What? Yeah. A pumpkin um, seed is also a fish? Oh, yeah. What? Well, cutlet- not technically. <laughs> not the ones that you eat at the baseball game. You can get pumpkin seeds at a baseball game? <laughs> I thought you ate peanuts at a baseball game. No, technically, yes, those are fish. <laughs> Dr. Science. <laughs> well, now that that's covered, we also have the uh, the common shiner, the white sucker, the slimy, s- <laughs> the slimy sculpin. That was my nickname in high school. <laughs> See, I thought it was going to be the the shiner one, <laughs> the white sucker, <laughs> and the eastern black nose dace. Wow. Yes. I'll say are... this about brook trout: that is the New York State fish, and oh, also very cool. brook trout. Only nine percent of their habitat remains from their historical range in the eastern United States. Wow. And the fact that they can thrive at this peatland uh, and gigantic high elevation swamp in our surrounding boreas ponds is amazing and uh, has some climate resiliency and we should consider that when classifying this land since these are our state fish we should has to be protected absolutely yeah Yeah. and as for kind of small and large mammals we got bear bobcat fishers we got pine martens deer moose um, all all of those have been kind of seen in the boreas ponds area and one thing about this this area is the forest connectivity here that we have from the two wilderness areas, um, which is a really important factor that affects survivability and breeding success of mm-hmm. the animals. Um, and the, the one of the greatest qualities of this area is that it, it provides a great kind of north to south and also upslope corridor for the um the animals to kind of move through, protected yeah, from know, the roads. Heaven forbid a few places exist in the Adirondacks where animals don't exactly. get hit by cars. And, yeah. and the, the proposed roads within the area have the potential to disrupt habitat connectivity. Um, and so specifically the bear, bobcat, and the fisher all avoid roads um, up to a thousand meters, yeah. they they will avoid roads. Yeah, you too, might which, see one while driving once in a while, but they which, don't which prefer really, to be next to your no, exactly. Which mile really, an hour which really kind of changes their their habitat. Um, if they're trying to avoid all these different roads, they're going to be going into places that um, maybe aren't aren't great for them or that they they don't normally stray into. Um, it is very hot. Yeah, here and in all these too, animals, the <laughs> all these animals use trail corridors um, and and travel these these corridors that uh, these current roads are going to intersect. So that's that's just something we got to think about when the people want to be flying down there with 
snowmobiles and jeeps. I will and say, in defense of people who love roads, no fear. You have 6,970 miles of public road to travel, and if you like snowmobiling, you're in luck. New York State has about 10,000 miles of snowmobile trail for you to enjoy. Is it really that much? Across the state. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. In, in Boris, I don't know if I hit on this, uh, on this tract of land, there's only 25 miles of road spread across seven different roads. Uh, that's what they advertised on the DEC website for horseback travel. So adding so, only 25 more miles. Yeah, of, giving up that, I think, is totally worth it in, in regards to protecting some wilderness, I think. Yeah. And some, some animal habitats. Yeah. Yeah, so lastly, I just wanted to uh, talk about like the intangibles of the area. Um, the main thing I just wanted to kind of hit on here is, uh, well, you're not going to hit it, right? Because they're intangible. Well, no, I'm not. Get I try. I, <laughs> I, I might hit Wade. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, w- I will hit him. <laughs> uh, no, it's just, um, and just, I know you guys have been out there too, so you can probably agree with me. It's just the, the feeling of wilderness and the feeling of solitude when you're out there. Um, you know, those, those like shoreline scenic vistas looking towards uh some of the high peaks if there was if there was a motorboat out there or cars driving on the road i think that everyone would agree that that would absolutely be ruined absolutely i mean that there are already so many lakes that you can drive right up to in the adirondack park but there are only four lakes in the adirondack park that are inside the top 100 largest lakes where you can be in the back country over a mile and a half into the woods and not have the lake be motorized. There are only four lakes in Boreas Ponds is one of the four that exists. What are the others? Cedar Flow in the West Canada Lakes Wilderness Area, uh, Newcomb Lake in Essex County, and Faro Lake, uh, which is in the eponymous Faro Lake Wilderness Area. And that's really, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And when we're talking about intangibles, that's exactly what it is. It's it's a it's a unique wilderness landscape. It's it's rare, um, you know. And and the fact that it's butted up against the two wilderness areas, it makes sense to connect it. And not only that, but having wilderness is such a rare thing for any state or national park. That's what draws people to the Adirondacks, including myself. That's why I moved here, uh, is to have those wilderness experiences. That's something that once it's taken away. You're not going to get it back. And that's something that we have here, that we have going for the communities, the, the economy, um, the, the earth in general, that, uh, that needs to be preserved. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's not, it's, not, it's selfless because we want to preserve wilderness not just for us. It's actually for all the other biotic creatures that have an equal right to live there in addition to us. We're just one of the species that might want to see Boreas Ponds. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I I know you guys have heard me say this a little bit before, but the area was used extensively for logging purposes. Um, there was a camp out there too. Yeah, Finch so, Brine, Yeah, you know that kind of the land has. We've taken so much stuff from this land. You know, we've we've cut down the trees. We made our roads through there, and we actually have a very unique chance right now to give it back, to give the land, to mm. give it back, to mm. let it be wilderness again. And to let it sort of heal itself from the scars of man. And I think that uh, if we give it back, we might be able to set a trend for other states, other parks, other people to be like, hey, that's a cool idea. We should do the same thing. 
Absolutely, yeah, I couldn't agree more. But uh, yeah, I mean, th- I mean, and when we're talking intangibles, that's just that's really what I was just trying to hit on is that uh, it's definitely a unique wilderness landscape. That's awesome. Well, we've heard about the physical, the biological, the intangible characteristics of Boreas ponds. Next week, what we're going to do is dive into the controversy that ensues in the fall of 2016 going into the winter of 2016 and the beginning of 2017 the adirondack park agency decided to host eight public hearings across the state and the results were tallied and we're going to tell you what happened when the public came out to speak on behalf of boreas ponds Footstuff podcast wants you to help us protect boreas ponds you can go to www adirondackwilderness.org to help us fill out a letter and take action to preserve Boreas Ponds as forever wild wilderness. No roads, no inroads, no huts, no glamping. We'll talk about it more next week. Thanks again for listening to Footstuff, uh, the podcast all about footstuff. Most of the research for Boreas Ponds came from Boreas Ponds Scientific Assessment of Physical, Biological, and Intangible Characteristics. Uh, that link will be put up on our website along with the links to all of the news articles that we had discussed as well. All of these will also be found in the show notes. We'd also like to give a quick shout out to Dr. Science for being the coolest, smoothest doctor in the entire Adirondack Park. Have a good day. Yeah, so you can check out everything we're doing at uh, footstuffpodcast.com. You can send us any messages you want right at uh, footstuffpodcast at gmail.com. We're on the Instagram machine at footstuffpodcast, Ooh, yeah. Twitter, footstuffpod, um, and that's it. I have a couple of plugs, too. Um, I want to go ahead and plug uh, Renaissance Fairs. <laughs> yes. Because you can get those sweet turkey legs. Um, I if, like the jousting. Uh,